We are live. Someone, someone's <laughs> been doing some work since the last show. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Security Squawk Podcast. We are live. Last episode of 2022. Bringing you the goods, right? We don't, uh, we don't do uh, any advertisements yet. <laughs> and we don't bore you with promotions and stuff like that. We just talk about cybersecurity. And all that we ask in return is you help us promote and grow our show by sharing it with your friends and family. Either give us a, a review or a rating on your favorite podcasting platform, or just find us on social media and click that share button. Send it out to your friends and family. We're on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. We're everywhere. Uh, share the show. That's it. That's all we ask. So let's get into it, guys. Uh, last week of the year, last pass breach is getting really, really ugly. We have a interesting warning by CISA followed by a an attack on a major hospital in North America. Uh, we got that county up in New York still dealing with lots of trouble around ransomware uh, and the ransomware event that they had. And then Okta, a little interesting, little, little bit of an interesting twist there on the Okta story, but one that I think we need to highlight because I think it happens more than companies realize, and you bring some awareness around, you know, GitHub and the and the challenges around that. Um, and then, you know, I don't know what's going on with the electric grid in our country, but we're going to talk about some interesting things that aren't being reported around cybersecurity and our electric grid in the United States. So how's everybody doing? How's everybody's Christmas? Good? Good good holiday? Cold. Cold. Caught a little bit of a cold on top of that. So if I sound a little stuffy, that's why. But hanging in there. Yeah, it was super cold over here in Texas, too, uh, in the low teens. Um, not actual Christmas Day. It started warming up. But... One of our first Christmases in a while where we weren't all wearing shorts. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild. It's uh, freezing here. It's freezing all over all over the country. Uh, a lot of people kind of like I've seen a lot of stuff on social media. I was kind of chuckling, <clears throat> like people in like their twenties and thirties who really haven't had to deal with a whole lot of cold their whole lives, and you know they own houses now. And, yeah. yeah. Things are happening to their house, and they're like, "What's going pipes on?" Breaking. Pipe, pipe, yeah. Pipes breaking. The biggest thing is, uh, people that I saw, people that have tankless hot water heaters in their garage, and then the pipe going into that is freezing. So yep. now they don't have hot water. Wow. Uh, because you know they didn't insulate it properly, or they didn't put yeah. a little heater coil on it. And then their garage, inside the garage, gets cold enough to where it freezes. Um, fortunately enough, mine is in my basement, so I don't have that problem. I, I got a kick out of hearing everybody talking about all the, the stuff they had to do to, to winterize their pipes and their faucets and stuff like that. It's like, we, we do that every year. Jeez. Imagine that. You got to plan and prepare. Just what we talk about all the time in this show. It's probably a better idea to... Put that little heater coil in your pipes before it freezes than <laughs> after, right? Yeah. Lots of people lots of people waking up over over the holiday week though with uh frozen stuff and not really knowing what to do, which is kind of you know, like I said, what we talk about on this show all the time. Like let's let's try to figure out how we can prepare better. Yep. So guys, last pass, my goodness, this thing's kind of taken on a life of its own and another life of its own. Um Am I wrong in thinking that LogMeIn owns LastPass? Um, yes and no. Um, so they were separate, LogMeIn bottom. And then we heard a bunch of talk last year about them spinning LastPass back off. Does anybody know if that actually happened or has it been held up because of all these breaches? No oh, idea. No. I, so they, they are, they are LogMeIn company that way. Yeah, they're basically related, you know, whether they've been spun off yet or not. I think they wanted to spin them off to separate them from the negative publicity about around log me in. And now they've got their own negative publicity. So who knows? Yeah. December 20th. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's been an independent company, standalone company. So. 
Since when? Uh, December 2021. So last year. Oh, nice. They did it. All right. So, and, you know, just to be fair, LogMeIn has a lot of customers. Uh, and that's why they're a target. Um, and, you know, hackers know that they have a lot of customers. Um, and if they can get their hands on that data or get their hands on the software of the customers that use things like LogMeIn, you're potentially getting remote access and all kinds of crazy stuff that you normally wouldn't get if those softwares didn't exist. So who wants to bring the audience up to date on the latest last pass breach news? What's going on? What have security researchers figured out and what's been disclosed to the public? I mean, the thing that caught my eye was their blog post where they spent three or four paragraphs talking about, oh, you know, nothing to see here, move along. Not really, but kind of, because I don't know about y'all, but I get these uh, articles. I don't read every single word. I usually read the f first few paragraphs to see what's going on, and then I move along. And this particular blog post takes till the fifth paragraph to say, oh, yeah. And they also were able to get a copy of backed up user vaults data. Um, and I had already read the article once. Well, you know, the first few paragraphs and said, oh, yeah, they're just talking about the old thing and a little more detail. Saw one of the people, the security people I follow, follow on Twitter basically says, yep, they got customer vaults linked to the exact same article I'd read like an hour before. And I went back over there and I read down five paragraphs down. I'm like, holy moly, they definitely did. Then um, that's the gist of it is um, when the when the breach happened. Um, or since then, and y'all can chime in a little more, but like, um, basically they were able to get that customer vault data, which is encrypted. Um, but you know, it'll take 10,000 years to unencrypt it with today's computers. Um, if, but, if you followed their best practices for, for exactly. password management, which we all know everybody does, right? Yeah. And then when quantum computing comes online, it'll be solved in a few minutes. So you should change all your passwords, <laughs> you know. Yet another reason why, and I've always said this, to people who are anti-changing your password, who are like, oh, you don't need to change your password anymore. These are the reasons why you need to change your password. You, you've been the lone voice on that, man, because like Microsoft's been leading the charge to right. never change your passwords. In fact, when you set up a new tenant, y'all know this, in 365, it says, here's some recommendations. And always one of them is, you know, allow the users to reset their passwords themselves. And then another one's always set passwords to never expire. And all of a sudden now, okay, I hate to say it, but not really. But here's Brian over here saying, yeah, we need to keep doing that. And you're making sense now for sure. So I mean, typically they, they do include the caveats of, you know, so long as you're using MFA and so long, you know, so long as you're monitoring for, uh, breaches of, of, of passwords and changing them on those. But then again, you don't know until you know, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. those things may not be exposed on the dark web, but they may be sitting there for, you know, months. I would think in this case, my, my guess, since it is so high level, they're not going to just put it for sale on the dark web. They're going to start using it for other attacks is yeah. what I think. Although they might, I don't know, you know, they might just, maybe they do that all the time. I don't know. Uh, what are y'all's well, thoughts? One of, one of the other things that we were talking about in the green room too was, you know, this doesn't even talk about what if people reuse their passwords. So, I mean, this is a pretty important password. You definitely shouldn't use a reused password for your, your encryption vault on a password manager. But again, we, we all know how many people follow best practices. So it's also incredibly likely that somebody's uh, master password is sitting out there on the dark web. Uh, waiting for it to be keyed in and, and you know decrypt that that vault data because the the stuff that wasn't encrypted that they got were, were, were things like usernames and email and IP addresses and stuff like that so it's not going to be very difficult to connect the dots uh, and try out some passwords that a particular user may have already exposed. Yeah, Ryan's one hundred percent right. I mean, there's going to be two things that are happening right this instant because I just think about what's on the other side of them cracking this either through cracking the entire database by decrypting it 
or by like Ryan said, guessing master passwords for specific accounts. But it's not just passwords that are stored in these password management tools. I mean, you can store credit cards, you can store credit cards, you can store pins, you can store social security numbers, you can store basically any information you would think about entering into a website or what have you. Bank accounts um, are can be stored in here. Just the amount of motivation that these criminals have to decrypt this stuff or get into it is just, I got to imagine they're pouring massive amounts of resources into this because this is a treasure trove that has an expiration date. I mean, that expiration date for some users might have already passed and for other users, it might be two or three years down the road. Um, and and the, the value a- of the data is going to go downhill over time as well, because as people change right. some of those passwords, the vault is only going to be, you know, 100% good today. And then people are going to gradually change a lot of those passwords over time, too. I mean, yeah. some of them, I read an article the other day about, you know, we, we talked about this like within the last year or 14 months about the most common used passwords. And I read an updated article based on the most recent links. And like, I, I still think the number one password was still password. Um, so, oh, yeah. so, so some of this has an expiration date. Some of it, people are still using, you know, password one, two, three money sign or whatever, you know? So yeesh. I had a question too, that, that we didn't talk about in the green room related to this, but I, I saw a bunch of other uh, chatter about people uh, saying, you know, maybe this is a reason we shouldn't use password managers, which I think is probably an overblown opinion as well. But what do you guys think about that? Like something like this now discouraging people from putting all their eggs in that one basket. I mean, but what else is there? Yeah. <laughs> At the moment, right? Well, and I, I think it just goes back to, you know, it's, it's it's one thing yeah you can look at it as putting your eggs in one basket but at the same time if you follow the best practices use a unique password a much longer and specific password for that vault and you follow those those password best practices um you you should still be in, in reasonably okay shape but you know now you know that that's out there and you, you also got to know it's probably in your best interest to start going through and updating those passwords yeah and i would i would say i mean this does suck that that the vault stuff was stolen but it's still talking about that particular, you know, should I or shouldn't I? I mean, you're still more likely to reuse passwords if you don't have a password vault. And you're more likely to do like a 12 character or a 14 character password if you don't have a password vault. So I think like your everyday, you know, waterline of security by using a password vault is raised way up. And what we're talking about here was something that just got over that. That's not going to happen all the time, hopefully. Right. hopefully. Um, so, yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I mean, we can always go back to the whole notepad in your pocket thing. Um, like, I still know CEOs that still do that. They have that little notepad in their pocket of all their passwords. It's hard to leak that, but then again, if you get caught outside in the rain, you lose everything. So I don't know. It, well, it, it's it's easy to lose that too, but at the same time, you're only losing one as opposed to all of your vaults. Right. So one one, one thing that um I I forgot who said it, but we started well at least for me I started implementing it with um our with my like for example my Office 365. So my Office 365 is in my password vault. But then there's about uh, uh, three or four characters that are not in it, and it's a color. Yes. And now you you know, and then that way I just remember I copy and paste the password, but then I just have to add you know four more characters to it. So that kind of throws it off a little. So maybe that could be something that um, users can start to do. And then um, I hope LastPass gives like notification and just yeah. like hammers people like, look, you got to change these passwords, you know. Um, but if you got 50, 60 passwords in your vault, that's a lot of work. So I don't see the problem with that, though, Andre, like I, I, that's something that makes sense and is doable for folks like us. But I, I think the, the problem we have is even a password manager seems to be an overcoming obstacle for a lot of end users. So like you know, there's yeah. that fine line of where yes. you know, we're, we're securing things, but or, or we're, we're locking them out of it. Where, you know, the, the whole thing where, you know, passwords make, making it easier for the bad guys to crack, but harder for the user to remember and. How do we balance that? That's such a good, uh, such a good question. I like the what Andre suggested. Um, I've heard people call that salting password salting, 
you know, where you let you let your password keeper fill it in and then you have to add three or four characters um, of, of a color. So there's only three or four colors that are, that are three or four characters anyway. But yeah, that's not a bad idea, though, because then the passwords are not going to work. And we know that these passwords, most of them aren't. It's not like somebody's going to sit down and manually try them. They're going to feed them into a computer and they're just going to go crazy trying to log in to whatever they're doing. Now, it may in a targeted attack, they may reach out and find some of those passwords. But having assault on it, it's not a bad idea. But you're right. How It's hard to get people to implement these in the first place. Right. And then now you're talking about what? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you want to do what? I'll just go back to my notebook. I feel like I just, you know, I'm I'm thinking like even with MFA, trying to take people who are, you know, we just got used to putting in those codes from text message and now trying to explain to them what an authenticator app looks like and how to work that. It's, it's a challenge. I'm glad it's not just me that has uh, deals with some of that. So, but I mean, if, if you want to, uh, if you want to, you know, do a salting that's you know a great thing to do but i think most users we just need to get them on password managers um and stop creating passwords like sitting there the other day and i got a uh facebook message from my mom that i knew wasn't from my mom and i was like mom like change your facebook password and why don't you have two-factor on like come on like the fact that this is still happening today is just it just blows my mind. But people just aren't going to do it because it's, you know, viewed as inconvenient. So, want to move on to another topic uh, around ransomware, Toronto uh, Children's Hospital for the sick. Um, they were hit with ransomware last week on the heels of assistant FBI warning uh, that the Cuba ransomware, not related to the country of Cuba. It's just the name of the group. Um, usually their, their ties are with Russia. Um, and their warning of a, you know, threats to health healthcare organizations. And here in December, we have this major hospital in Toronto that was affected. Um, they have put out more guidance today, basically saying that they're going to be down for probably another several weeks. Um, and they're just trying to make do just like every other hospital that we talk about when they get hit with ransomware, they go to, you know, a lot of it goes to manual processes and things like that. Um, but one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about and go dig a little deeper on this one, guys, is um, this, this CISA warning that comes, these CISA warnings that come out and these FBI warnings that come out, um, and especially when they're joint type statements like this, we talk about we've talked about it before on the show i think it stands to reason that we highlight it again but they don't put these out because they just feel like it or it's like hey let's just throw this out because you know we just need to remind the healthcare sector that you know this is a thing for them they are literally working with hospitals and healthcare facilities and you know surgical centers and all these little you know entities that have been set up over the past 20 years or so since the healthcare industry has changed in the United States from everything being done at a hospital to where, you know, things like simple procedures can be done right in the doctor's office. And because of that, you've increased the landscape of where the data lives and where it needs to be protected uh, physically and geographically. And this is why CISA and FBI release these things because they're seeing them all the time. They're seeing an uptick in this group or that group. And these things that we talk about on this show where they don't get reported, we don't even probably talk about 90% of the stuff that happens out there. We only know about about 10%. Um, so you're not going to hear about the doctor's office and the surgical center, you know, that maybe has one location that got hit, but the FBI knows about it, right? So this kind of stuff, happens all the time uh and these are why these warnings come out so i haven't been able to find too much else that happened in december around you know healthcare organizations getting hit but it kind of you know it kind of leads to what we're going to talk about in a little bit with the electric grid 
these these important critical infrastructure areas that are being attacked by cyber criminals doesn't seem to be slowing down here and heading into 2023. <clears throat> and I think that's kind of the moral of the story. When you a when you see these things come out by CISA and the FBI, take them seriously. But b we're going to see these critical infrastructure uh, sectors being hit harder and harder in 2023 than we did in 2021 and 2022. And I think that's hard for people to wrap their heads around. And I think it's also important to point out that most of the time, the only people who read these warnings are people like us. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, somebody like a hospital, you know, they're typically going to have somebody who's, who's going to be aware of these things when they come out. But for small businesses, don't think that, you know, this is going to get, you know, emailed to your, to your mailbox or, or, or sent to you via mail you need to go out and look for this stuff. So if you don't have somebody handling this for you, you're probably not even aware that these warnings are going out. So that begs a question, A, uh, kind of going back to cyber insurance, and we did a whole show about cyber insurance. And I just filled out an application uh, two or three weeks ago, and a little new wrinkle I saw in this application was you actually having to attest and say that, you know, you're filling this out, you know, by penalty if, if this information is not accurate. And one of the specific things that they're making you do is say that you have somebody at your company assigned and responsible for security, and then you have to list that person's name and put their information on the application, right? So by doing that, I, you know, I think it's wise to point out to people that you're basically saying that this person right here who you're, I'm naming is responsible for things like knowing when the FBI and CISA puts out a bulletin that affects their industry or their business. Do you guys agree with that? Because that's how I'm kind of seeing it. Like that person, whoever that person is on that application basically has to be the person who has to know when these alerts come out and and what the threat landscape looks like. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 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 a really good point to that law. And I think that's something that a lot of the, the proposed legislation up until this point has been been missing is that that requirement to have somebody inside the organization that is ultimately responsible for this because people have been for too long uh, trying to plead ignorant and I don't know better. We, we hired this company to take care of it. So it's their fault. And, and I think it's really, really important to have somebody responsible on the inside. I, I was going to say um, along those lines, we've covered several incidents where that literally happened, where somebody didn't tell so-and-so and so-and-so didn't tell so-and-so and fingers get pointed and people get blamed and, you know, bottom line, there's no accountability. So good for them for bringing some accountability into this um, because, you know, I want businesses to be able to be free and make money and do all that stuff. But if they're not going to come around and hold themselves accountable, you know, you got to sometimes do it externally. So yeah, we, uh, Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, ask a question. Go ahead. Oh, were we going to get into the the uh, details of the children's hospital or just mention that it's yet another one that was hit. So if you have details, I'd be happy if you could go through them. I, what I read was that it didn't seem to impact uh, patient delivery. It was like website and like more administrative type stuff that was impacted. Um, so I didn't bring it up. That was my, <laughs> that was literally my only point on that was that, they had a plan and we all know we're going to get attacked eventually and their plan seemed to have limited their blast radius although we'll see um yeah so that's the main thing i was going to pull out of that were you going to say something did i I cut somebody off sorry no let me um i have a question for you guys so when you look at for example crime rates right crime rates year after year goes down in, in in most cities um, ob- obesity, AIDS, whatever the case is, right? But when you look at cybersecurity, are we, not we, the four people here, but is the industry doing enough? Like, I feel like like we're, we're giving out all this information, there's all this information out there, 
But then people are still like at this point, 20 end of 2022, and we're still talking about these huge hospitals and people like that getting attacked. I just feel like we're, we're just continuing to go backwards. <laughs> yes. I, I, I mean, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, we're, we're, I've said it before, we're in a very early infancy of this type of crime. So cyber crim typical criminals, the, the amount of people who are going to enter the criminal side of this is it, it, we still haven't hit its peak yet. Mm -hmm. Right. People are just starting to get involved in this and, and, and make this an actual thing. Um, <clears throat> you know, it scares me to think about how easy it is for a cyber criminal to do this. Unlike, you know, organized crime back in the 20s and 30s, where you actually had to live somewhere close to where you're actually going to yeah. do the crime. Now you don't. Now you can literally become you know, a criminal that messes with business that, 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 you know, harasses them and, and does all kinds of things that normal criminals would do in a street to like a store owner are now going to be happening over the internet online. And I just don't think that we've even seen the begin. We're just at the very beginning of the breadth and depth of this. And I think that's why it's hard for a lot of business owners to wrap their head around the fact that this is going to happen to them. Like yeah. we've been saying since the infancy, not a matter of if, but when, but then I'm sitting here for 10 years as a business owner going, I've never gotten hit. Right. Like it's never going to happen to me. Well, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> the, 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 the rapids are getting faster and faster. Are you just going to continue to move towards the waterfall or are you going to start doing something about it? Because that's how this is going to be. And, and to answer your question, I think internally people like us, yes, absolutely are seeing those statistics and recognizing that fact. I think it's the people who we need to protect that aren't seeing it because it's one thing like, you know, you, you use crime statistics as an example. Like if you live in a city and crime is going up, like, you know, that you're impacted by that because you live in that city. Like there's no way of, of logicking yourself out of it. If you're a business owner and it's, it's cyber crime. It's, it's all virtual. It's in this magic cloud. And, and you can say, you know, Hey, I don't know anybody who's gotten hit with it. You know, and we all know that they probably do. They just don't talk about it, but it's just, it, it's too easy at this point uh, because of the unknowns, because of the, the uh, lack of understanding uh, for them to say that they're not, they're not impacted by these statistics. They're the exception to the rule. There's going to be one way that people buy this. It's going to be they either have their own incident or somebody they know really close to them is going to have a problem and that's going to force them into purchasing something. Maybe, and but we've, we've all seen the same thing where somebody has gotten hit and then they go, oh, well, it's not going to happen again. <laughs> what, what are the chances it happens twice? And then they still don't listen to us and say, it's actually higher that you're going to get hit twice. So I would hope that's the... The exception to the norm. I would think that most businesses, business owners, I think are aware at this stage. And once they kind of have that close call, that's going to be the trigger that pushes them over the edge to actually do something if they haven't already. Um, in most cases, you hope that's the case. Um, otherwise, you're right, right? They're going to get hit. I mean, the clock is ticking. Your chances of actually making it through uh, business without getting hit and not doing anything at the same time are, are, you know, those chances are going down yep. exponentially by the hour. Um, which I think, you know, I'm reading some things already where I think, you know, New Year's this year is going to be ugly for a lot of businesses. I just really do. I just think like this whole week, you know, people are going to be out of the office, take this 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 week between Christmas and New Year's and leading in the New Year's is going to be ugly for a lot of businesses. Um, and we'll find out in the middle of January. Probably find out some sooner than others, but I think you know the ones that aren't as in your face, like people can't tell that they're having a problem. We'll find out about those later. But I guarantee you, we're going to have some big ones that we're going to know about pretty quickly. Um, Anything else you guys want to add to that before we move on to this wild Suffolk County 
mm. update that we want to kind of hit everybody with. So everybody remembers, I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the show, Suffolk County up in New York um, suffered a ransomware attack. I believe it was back in the spring of 2022. And we have a little bit of an update and timeline for you guys to kind of let you know how this happened. And then once they were in there, what they did once they were in there. And this is a, I guess I'd classify this under, this is a classic example of what you don't want to do, but I guarantee you most businesses kind of fall into whatever's going on here. So who wants to, Andre, you, you kind of brought this one to our attention. You want to take the lead on this? Yeah, I'll start it off. Um, so the, the curious thing of how this all started was the IT director basically mining Bitcoin so he brought in about 60 something um, devices and put them into the network of the, of, the, um, of the county. And this is how it all started. And then one of those computers got compromised. And then from there, and I remember one time in our podcast, we even talked, I don't know if that was a prediction, but uh, Brian, you had mentioned, start watching electricity bills. Like that's gotta be a conversation that you start to have with your customers to say, you know, has your electricity bill gone up in the last few months, you know? So that that's kind of how it all started. And what was interesting is the timeline of, of how once they got into the systems, you had uh, by March 2022, the hackers um, installed their remote management agent. So the hackers were basically installing tools so that they can just easily remote into the machines when they wanted. And then from there, they started to create their own um, fictitious um, user accounts and Active Directory, started to give themselves administrative passwords. Um, from there, they started doing uh, running scripts where when uh, getting the logins, the login, username and passwords for all of their uh, the people working there. So like, it's just mind boggling to think that you didn't have anything in place, any type of warning system that when an administrator is added to your Active Directory, it alerts somebody or, you know, someone's auditing it and, and things like that. So it, it just kind of showed some incompetence there. Yeah, this is wild. And good. I was just going to say, man, this is the story that just keeps on giving. You know, um, <laughs> it, it seems like everything's been handled wrong. I didn't know about the Bitcoin miners brought into the system. I mean, that's bordering on... Well, I don't even know if it's bordering on. To me, that sounds illegal because you're stealing the electricity from the gov from the from your government to pay for your Bitcoin miners, and now you've caused this. Like the person who did that, it's very likely they'll end up in jail um, over this um, as more and more details come out. But this this um, particular article that we're looking at um, is really fascinating, um, and it's. Basically, the things we talk about all the time, they they used a vulnerability to get in that could have been patched um, and in, in like several things. So they use that vulnerability to get in and then they basically they live off the land and they just find information. They find information. They get enough stuff to where they can do their attack. Another another thing about this that's really weird and discouraging but i know it happens because i know it happens to a, a large city very close to me um and it still happens this day it blows my mind um but they said that every every department had their own like it world if you will um their own little fifes um is what they call it in in this um article and so there's no cohesive like policy from department to department which Guys, in 2020, y'all know this. I'm not really preaching to the choir here, but in 2020, that's just crazy. It's crazy. It's good to have segmentation, but not when you're doing segmentation of your, you know, your processes and your cybersecurity. Come on now. All right, I'm going to chill out a little bit because I'm really getting started on this one. I mean, I, I think the other thing here is, is the number of opportunities that were missed in just identifying that, that there was something going on. So like on, on the front end, there was all these problems that allowed them to get in in the first place. But two, like all of the things they did, I mean, adding system accounts going unnoticed. Like, there's just so much opportunity to identify that somebody may have had access to these systems that were completely missed. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is like detection 101. I mean, yeah. <laughs> creating accounts, 
um, you know, it, it was, it's just like either, either this was an inside job or this is really like, I don't even want to, uh, I'm trying to find the right word, but hackers who are having a lot of fun with this, right. with this victim. I'm, think, I'm thinking of like yeah. two hackers going, yeah, I'm just going to put this new account on their system. No way. They're not, they're going to totally notice that. No way. Watch. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> well, not only that, like, so going back to what Andre said about the cryptocurrency mining devices that they were put in place by an employee who's who's been arrested and is now waiting charges okay i didn't realize that part yeah and this guy's name is chris naples right and he put 46 crypto mining devices in a building where his office was located and he was charged with public corruption and grand larceny um is convicted he he uh if convicted of the top charge against him, Naples faces up to 15 years in prison. But one of the rogue accounts created by the cyber criminals was a play on Naples's name. So that is leading investigators to believe that either the cyber criminals found information regarding Naples's case in the system when they hacked it, or this could potentially be an inside job with Naples being one of the people involved in the cyber attack. That's what's being presumed here in this article. They don't know because they don't know who the attackers are. Um, but yeah, like going back to, you know, they installed scripts to collect log. Like basically here's what happened. And we've seen this plenty of times before. And that's why I want to point this out with businesses, right? So the hackers found a file on the system named passwords, right? So we just came across, it, across this with a company where they had an Excel file in their OneDrive with the word passwords in it. And all the hackers needed to do was get back into this OneDrive and they basically would have like a treasure trove of passwords to work with to try to, you know, do bad things to these companies and their employees and log into email accounts and stuff like that. Same thing here. Once they got this password file, then they would just run a script and then test that script automatically against all these login credentials that are in in this file um, and this is stuff that we see all the time that you know if you're a business and you're doing this type of stuff you have an excel file or word document or something out there where your passwords are stored yes i know we railed on a password manager for 20 minutes at the beginning of the show but password managers are infinitely better than excel files like especially ones named you, password yeah. Um, so, and I could also say, you know, for our show, we did pass a whole deep dive review on password managers and LastPass was not one of the ones we recommended. Right. <laughs> so uh, no surprise to us that there was a problem there for, for, for certain reasons, which we covered in that, that actual show. So if you want to learn what podcast or what, uh, password manager you should be using, go back and look for the podcast where we went through a deep dive on password managers. But I think the ones that we selected, you know, I think we all either selected three or four different ones. I think they, I think that still stands the test of time today. I wouldn't go back on the recommendations we made on that show. Would, would you guys? I don't no. Brian's like, I don't I don't remember doing that. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was that was before my time or not, but I, I know I'm I still stand by the one I would have recommended. So I, I think it was before your time, if I remember correctly, but my memory isn't certainly that much. To to our defense, we tried to be kind of uh tool agnostic, if you will, on that. Yeah. Um yep. but we clearly like keeper kind of went to the top. And Bitwarden kind of went to the top on, you know, our praises, but we didn't really come out and say, you know, I, and I don't know if we poo-pooed on LastPass or not, but, you know. We, did, we didn't poo-poo on them, but I know we definitely didn't. Uh, we didn't, well, they weren't one of the ones that kind of came to the top based on the features and things that we were covering and discussing. Right. So. So let's move on to this Octa breach. We got about five, ten minutes to go, guys. Uh, if that, and then we'll try to blow through these last couple topics here. Octa breach, Randy, help us out. What's going on over at Octa? Oh, um, yeah. Um, I just posted <laughs> the uh, the article because um, I believe this goes all the way back to some of the source code getting leaked. Am I right? 
Um, I don't have a whole lot of details to add to this specific article, though. It's just these guys have had a really hard last 18 months when it comes to to breaches. And they are a security company. You know, so on one hand, they are a big target um, because they're a security company. But on the other hand, you know, they're also high trust because they're a security company. So these kind of things are are really disconcerting when we see them. This this well, breach was actually their source code. So this this most recent one was when their GitHub repository got hit, and uh, their source code yeah. was stolen. I think the previous one was uh, a third party customer service uh, vendor. Um, so it was like screenshots of some of the stuff internally that they had. All right. So we we about four or five years ago, our company was brought in to evaluate the security of a company that developed software for our government in some way, shape or form. And one of the things that we identified was the fact that, um, that his source code was being stored in GitHub. And they thought that was okay. We kind of took issue with that. We were like, no, cause you need to keep this secure and you can't be keeping this out, even though it's, even though it's password protected and it's not open to the world, it's still on GitHub. It's still on something that you don't own, right? And this is something that we're starting to see now as security researchers are looking at what the heck is going on out there and what are cyber criminals doing today? And they're starting to develop automated processes to scan for GitHub code that they can then exploit or that they can then inject code in. And now they have a backdoor into this piece of software, that piece of software. Um, if people don't know what GitHub is, GitHub is a place where software developers and coders can store programming language and their code. Um, in some senses, it's supposed to be open source and freely shareable among everybody. Um, but it can also be somewhere where you keep it private or semi-private where you don't share everything. At the end of the day, it's still a third party who is hosting this data for you and they can be breached themselves, right? GitHub could be breached where something that you think is being not shared with the rest of the world is now all of a sudden in the possession of somebody else. And that's exactly the concern here. Um, GitHub has become a massive repository for code, uh, code that is used in a lot of software that's out there today. And I've always been concerned with GitHub. People who weren't concerned with security didn't seem to see the problem with it, but now you're starting to see some cracks in the ice when it comes to why you don't want to be storing your source code on GitHub. And I'm going to say that. It's kind of a double-edged sword because you really need, in today's world, a way to track all changes to software. Because going going all the way back to the SolarWinds breach, where like six lines of code or maybe 10, I don't remember, but I've seen the actual back door that was inserted, just so easily inserted, made it into the compile for that day or whenever, got signed, rolled out caused all these breaches. So on one hand, need a way to know every time there's a change to code and GitHub, GitHub is great for that. But you're right. I mean, that does bring up very, very disconcerting things to know that Okta is hosted on GitHub. Um, to me, that doesn't fill me with happy security thoughts. No, yeah, did it fill you with happy security thoughts when I told you that a defense contractor was storing their code out there? Like, no. fucking. Well, and and then I'm calling them out on it, and they're going, oh, no, it's fine. Well, and that's like, the thing. So, this isn't the first article that we've seen where we talked about source code, and, and the company's response was that they do not rely on the confidentiality of the source code for the security of its services. But how can you not? I mean, right, exactly. just because you've got other security protocols in place, like if, if somebody looks through this and finds, uh, you know, the weakness in the battle station, it's not going to stop the rebels from going after it. Amen. I'm oh, nice Star Wars that. reference. And there wasn't a new Star Wars movie this year. What the heck? <laughs> um, so I think that's a that's a really excellent point. And maybe maybe because Microsoft owns GitHub and I don't know how involved they are 
in, you know, that ownership, um, maybe they need to come out with um, either an on-prem version or, you know, a um, one that's suitable for government or something like that. Maybe that's hosted in separate servers or separate instances or buckets or something, um, because there's definitely a need there for accurately following your source code. Um, so you don't get back doors thrown in and things like that, although that can still happen. So maybe we'll see something like that out of Microsoft. We all know if it goes on-prem, it's not getting updated. <laughs> also, hey, all right, guys. So right. I think we're going to jump into our last topic here. And that's, uh, you know, hackers, uh, it's, and I, haven't, I didn't hear about this, and I don't know what they're talking about. We're going to cover it this October ransomware attack. But hackers stole data belonging to multiple electric utilities in an October ransomware attack on a U.S. government contractor that handles critical infrastructure projects across the country, according to a memo describing the hack obtained by CNN. Federal officials have closely monitored the incident for any potential broader impact on the U.S. power sector, while private investigators have combed the dark web for stolen data, according to the memo sent this month to power company executives by the North American Grid Regulators Cyber Threat Sharing Center. Wow. Um, so it's a company called Sargent & Lundy, which is an engineering firm that has designed more than 900 power stations and thousands of miles of power systems and that hold sensitive data on these projects. And here we go. This is what we're talking about. This is exactly what I was talking about with the defense contractor I referenced in the GitHub you know, thing on the last uh, topic we talked about. Um, these defense contractors that, you know, have this information and they're not protecting it like like they should and here we are where ransomware hackers you know not only they did they probably extort this company or at least try to now they're out here probably peddling this information to you know whoever wants to buy it on the market you know anybody interested in learning more or wanting to potentially maybe do damage to the us's power grid pretty scary stuff i mean you know, it's it's just a ransomware attack that could turn into a major national, yep. you know, security issue. And and they pointed out in the article too that um, the the reasons why you know some of the reasons why this is particularly alarming is is we've seen uh, at least two different uh, attacks on uh, substations in the last uh, several weeks. So we had the the gunfire yeah. uh, in in North Carolina, and then there was one uh, over Christmas weekend uh, where uh, some ones in Washington were were vandalized. And these are probably unrelated to each other, but you know, just think about. You know, they, they took out power to, I, I think, 1,400 people in one instance and, and something like 2,000 in another. Um, you know, these are people who just were, were going after it with no knowledge. Imagine what you could do with the schematics. So, I mean, that, it's really, yeah. a, it's almost like we're testing it for the bad guys at this point. This year was actually a record year for attacks on power, on the yeah. power grid. I, I think I read it was like 120 plus over, over the course of the year all across the uh the country so that's physical and that's why these schematics could be valuable to you know people that want to subvert um our society politically um and then you know the schematics could be valuable from a cybersecurity standpoint so it is you know it is disconcerting on both levels that's for sure and the article mentioned how federal uh, regulation requires um electric utilities to have a certain cybersecurity requirements and guidelines, but then the contractors don't have that same, you know, so that's hard to be fair. The ones that are required to do it don't always have them either. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I don't know what's gonna happen out of the back end of this, but you know, I guess heading into 2023, we're just seeing example of example of how this is just going to become a bigger problem for businesses. I mean, we have, you know, guys like this, the CEO of Zurich uh, Insurance, basically saying that he doesn't even think cyber insurance are, are going to be, is going to be a thing. He doesn't think they're going to be able to continue to insure cyber attacks. Mm -hmm. So uh, that'll be interesting to see if in 2023, 2024, Ramp, that ramps up that talk and now businesses don't have that fallback 
just kind of pondering ahead. Do you guys agree with that? Maybe is it too, too, too soon? 2023 is too fast. And maybe that's more of a 2024, 2025 thing. Or do you think, you know, potentially we could see, you know, businesses not being able to get cyber insurance in 2023, just in general, not because they're not doing enough or whatever, just those cyber insurers just said, we're not offering this product anymore. We're out peace. You need to go protect yourself. And then, and if you get hit, you can't call us anymore. I don't see it getting to that point. I, I think just for the economies to keep continue to run, we're going to need to have some sort of, of safety net. Um, I think that certain screws are definitely going to get tightened. I think, I think they're going to really start enforcing uh, the requirements for this type of thing. I think they're going to get, you know, even more uh, strict about asking uh, a lot more questions than what they're, what they're asking. Uh, and I think they're going to cap out, uh, you know, certain instances where, where, you know, it's not going to pay out if you do something stupid, you know, you, you're not going to have the ability to say, you know, oops, uh, you know, we, we had MFA on everything except for that one thing um, and still get a payout. So I, I think the screws are going to get tightened, but I don't know that I see it going away entirely. I, I would also say too, uh, I think we'll probably see it consolidated. So instead of having, uh, you know, several different, you know, uh, insurance carriers having that as one of their options, we'll probably see a, a couple uh, carriers uh, sprout up that um, that's their specialty. So that's what they're doing day in and day out and where they're focused on it and have uh, a little bit more control and an understanding of it. I think part of the problem we have now is, is too many of the people who are writing these policies don't fully even understand the questions that they're asking of their of their uh, the customers that they have. So you know we've we've all read some of those questionnaires where we look at the question and we're like this doesn't even make any sense. Like the person clearly had no idea what they were asking here. So I think that's going to be important where we have more education on their end to to really know these policies. Yeah, and they're just going to raise the prices so it become unaffordable, and then only the top top people are going to be able to get it. And that's really good insight there because. This guy, no offense. So I'm I'm the older guy of this group, right? Well, here's an older guy saying, "Well, it's not insurable." And then Warren Buffett, bless his heart, and I love older people. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying anything bad like that. But Warren Buffett is also an older guy, and you know he's saying that it, it won't work. And so you've either got these guys are right, or they're not adjusting. And it could be a yeah. matter of they're not adjusting, and it could be a matter of they're right on. Um, Brian, you asked, do we think 2023? In my opinion. I don't think that this is going to hit the fan in 2023. I think we'll see it some, um, but I think this is further down the road. I think it's too early to tell, you know, at this point. But, you know, is this a matter of these these older legacy companies, if you will, they're just not adjusting to the times, you know, um, or is this a matter of they're really seeing into the future? Yeah, my prediction is, is that the safety net will go away. Um, I think you'll still, I think like Andre said, the Habs will be able to get it and the Habs nots are not going to be able to get it. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see the product evolve to where they will do a risk assessment ahead of time and then offer it. I just think that that's not something that they want to get into. Um, not the way that they're trying to do it now anyway. Yeah, it's, it's cheap for them to kind of, get the product to the customer right now and that would just introduce more cost and more time which they're they're not fans of in that business it's like just give me some information let me spit you out a quote and then if you know that fits your budget write me a check type of deal and that's what they're that's how they like to operate um the other big thing is i think you know personal accountability around this stuff is going to be a really big change for people this year we're already seeing it with the FTC getting involved more and more in these types of cases. Like when we had the Uber uh, chief, uh, chief information security officer, he was charged by the FTC because he covered up uh, an investigation where he was basically paying off cyber criminals before the information got released. And then same thing with Drizzly CEO, uh, James Corey Rellis, He's being held accountable for allegedly failing to implement inadequate information security measures to protect customer data confidentiality. Uh, and then he basically goes on to say that this guy, he's going to be required to prove to the FTC that they have a 
a security program in place. And if this guy, Mr. Rellis, leaves Drizzly for whatever reason and starts another company, he's going to be required to implement a security program in any future role as a majority owner, CEO, or senior officer with information security responsibilities at a business collecting consumer information for more than 25,000 individuals. So they're they're polling people. You're basically going onto a blacklist for cybersecurity, and you will be scrutinized till no end if you're going to have a role where you're in charge of a company or you're in charge of that company's security. I don't see how the government does that at scale. And why I say it's scale is the scale that I see the amount of people that would, you know, fall under this in yeah. the future. Like, I mean, this I, is just one person in one incident. It like, seems like that would be difficult. I mean, when you compare it to what we see with CEOs these days, though, where a CEO makes a couple of terrible decisions and, and really tanks a company, and then they still walk off with, you know, tens of millions of dollars in, in golden parachute, and then they get another cushy gig someplace else. Like, why do you think it would be different for that same type of C-level role with, with security where they're going to be blacklisted? I have no idea how they enforce that, but I just think it's yeah. interesting that that's where we're going, right? We're going, we're used to protect and safety net, right? Yeah. And now we're going to personal accountability and responsibility to no safety net. Well, I think there's still a safety net there. I think we're going to end up seeing a lot more litigation at that point. So like if they have that personal responsibility layer, now all of a sudden, instead of collecting on insurance, that company is going to be going and pointing the finger at that that uh, person who was. You're almost going to need. You're almost going to need personal insurance yeah. if you're going to get involved in security. Honestly, that's where this is heading, guys. Because if you think about it, yep, this is this is what doctors and lawyers need, right? But they have to be licensed, and that's the biggest thing. So this is, to me, another pathway to where this industry is going to be regulated, and if you want to practice in cybersecurity, you're going to have to have a license and you're going to have to have insurance on that license, but bonded insurance on that license, just like a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. It's still sad that it just, it, it still boils down to a shuffling of the deck of pointing the finger at everybody and nobody really taking responsibility. Like if people just did things the way that they should follow best practices, we wouldn't even be in this situation or having this conversation. Well, is it, is it, right. Is it that, or is it unqualified people putting being put in these roles, right? Probably that I too. Mean, I think there's a, a, you, a lot if, of reasons. If, if anybody could be a doctor, I'm sure we have yeah. a lot more people dead out there from, you know, doctors screwing up because nobody in this industry has to be licensed. Nobody has to have formal training. Anybody yeah. can step up and say, I'm a CISO. Well, how did you become a CISO? Right. What's your credentials? Mm -hmm. What did you do? Um, if you're hiring somebody just because they went to college, God bless you. Good luck. Hmm. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not where CISO well, cuts. Well, we're also talking from an industry that, that basically started by, you know, the, the first IT people were the, the, the people who knew the most about technology and their given business. <laughs> right. Right. So you're right. And it's in the evolution of that, right? You know it's how now. to remember a 14 character password. You're our CISO now. <laughs> You know how to reboot a computer? That's how it was when I walked. When I showed up in 1999, that's literally how it was. They were like, I'm like working with people and I'm like, how'd you get this job? Oh, I, I know how to reboot computers and you know, swap out a power supply. I'm like, oh, okay. So, so uh, 2023, we're, we're, we're gonna have a lot to talk about this year, guys. Yep. And, yeah. Uh, a lot of stuff is probably going to change this year, and I look forward to it. And we will definitely continue the show and bring everybody uh, what they need to know and how they can continue to protect themselves and what they need to do in their businesses and in their personal lives to start doing it. But like we always said, get your password manager, get your multi-factor authentication, right? That, that's, where, that's how we're going to start. So anything else you guys want to add? All good. All Happy good. New Year, everyone. We'll see you next year. Take care. Happy New Year.